Come listen to Pastor Paul review Romans chapter 2, where he discusses God's judgment and its effect on our daily lives. Words that they hear, right? All right. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. You're going to want to go in there, and um, as you do that, let me give a couple of introduction thoughts. There's a 51-year-old lady. She worked um, at the tailor shop in a prison in New York. And the 51-year-old lady, she started to get emotionally connected to a couple of criminals, a couple of guys who were murderers. And then they conned her, and they, they, she became romantically interested in them. And they convinced her, and she started to sneak in. Um, she snuck in a screwdriver, and she snuck in a pick. And, and she did that through frozen hamburger meat. She would bring in a frozen hamburger meat, and then she would get, and it would be cooked, and it would get to the crooks, and eventually they broke out, and, and she was not only going to go and run off with him, but she was going to have them murder her husband, and then take off with her. For the final moments before it happened, she got cold feet, and I think she turned herself in. How does that happen? How does, how does this person who, who 51-year-old married woman, connive with a couple of murderers? And get romantic. The heart, the heart is is a challenging thing to think about. A couple of years ago, from South Carolina, would be presidential candidate. He he he's a rising star in the political system, and and he he goes and and then pretty soon in the beginning of November, I mean beginning of 2009, he he disappears. It's around Father's Day, around 10 years ago, he disappears. He said he was going to go hike the Appalachian Trail for a couple of days. Well, his staff loses track with him. The governor, the governor's staff doesn't know where he's at. They, he doesn't return messages. On Father's Day, he doesn't call his sons. He doesn't call his wife. No one knows where he's at until a couple of days later they find out that, no, he wasn't hiking and lost on the Appalachian Trail. Instead, he went to go to Argentina to be with his mistress. And how, does, how does somebody who, who is going one direction all of a sudden have this deceptive moment, the heart, the heart deceives Externally, they look good. Externally, the, the 51-year-old was married, looked like she had a normal life, but she was plotting something secretly. Externally, the governor of South Carolina looked good, but he was doing something deceptively and deceit, deceitfully. How do, how do we get there? None of us are any better than them. Watch this as we think through chapter 2. The key point in this application is we need to examine our hearts before we examine our hands. We need to examine our hearts. We're going to see that this passage goes from they out there to you. Write that down. We need to examine our hearts because we could, we could on the external have really good looks. We could, we could look like everything's under control. We could look like our life is put together. We could look like all of the pieces of our life. We could even belong to the right clubs, go to the right church, pay our taxes, mow our lawns, be faithful to our wives or our husbands. And yet there's some secret things that are in our hearts that, that are not dealt with that are underlying. And so you could, have, you could have great hands, but you could have a corrupt heart. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is making an argument that, that even in this situation, there are some people who think that they've got it down and they don't have to deal with a heart issue. And Paul is going to talk about their hearts. So Paul starts us in the beginning of chapter 1 at the end of behavior. And how their behavior looks good, the world's look good, the culture's behavior can look good or bad. It depends on what your perspective is. And, and Paul says that God turned them over because their behavior went so south. He says, therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts 
to the sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies to one another. And so God gave them over. The wrath of God was the fact that God allowed them to pursue those relationships. And so God gave them over. And then he gave them over to the lusts, not just the lusts, the shameful lusts that they had. And so we see this, the physical acts, the external things are all then in that list, the end of Romans 1, it's just not about the physical actions of what we do with our body. It is also about what we do with our mind and our heart. We see that there's an attitudes and there's attitudes that, that are worth looking at. It's our minds that God's interested in as well. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, those are thinking words, those are intellectual words, they did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, something that they had learned. And so God gave them over to what? A depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. And all of a sudden, their thinking went downhill. Their thinking, they disintegrated. Their thinking disappeared. In Romans chapter 2, let me read chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, and then we'll unpack it. It starts like this. It says, you, therefore. Notice he was talking in chapter 1. They, 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 they. In chapter 2, It says about you, therefore, have no excuse when you pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. And so when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same thing, Do you think God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. A quote from Psalm 62. In those days, wait, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First, for the Jew than for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. When the Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secret thoughts through Jesus Christ as my gospel has declared. Verse 1 starts with, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment. 
The, the point Paul is making here is that we judge others' truth. Here's our truth. And, and we sometimes hold other people accountable because we have this misconception sometimes that our truth is the superior truth in which we go by. This is our personal truth, our, our unattached truth. And, and I want to show you some ways that we faultly think about each other. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 to 10, I want you to think about yourself. Rate yourself relative to your peers. Relative to your peers. Relative to your peers, on a scale of 1 to 10 in your mind, put a number on where you fit on the attractiveness scale. I get some chuckles. Ah, yeah, we see that. Okay. On a scale of 1 to 10, where you rate yourself on the intellect schedule. Okay. What is your, what is your IQ? Where, whereabouts do you think your IQ is? Is your IQ above average or is your IQ below average? Or is your IQ average? Are you ready? If you guys are average people, if you're the normal, regular people, this is an amazing statistic. Your IQ, 94% of you would have rated yourself above average in IQ. Is that because some of them don't understand math, Patricia? <laughs> okay, okay. So, so 94% of people cannot be above average. It doesn't work like that. That's not how it works, right? So if you put yourself above average in the IQ scale, and then all of a sudden everybody does that, 94% of the people. In other words, there are probably two people here that said, yeah, I got a low IQ. The rest average, 94% of the people say that they are above average. That's crazy. Not only that, but how about beauty and intelligence? Your social ability on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 to 10. How good do you think you are socially interacting with each other? How about spiritually? On a scale of 1 to 10, are you, are you really a dynamic person spiritually? Or are you, are you kind of at the beginning scale spiritually? Where are you at? Truth is, most people rate themselves about a 7. Most people rate themselves at about a 7. That, that again, doesn't work. Right? And so you go, well, everybody here is a seven. Well, then, then everybody here is not a seven. See, we, we have this fall how we think about ourselves versus what we think of everybody else. And when we start to judge people about how we think about ourselves versus what we think about everybody else, all of a sudden our ability to judge becomes tainted. Our ability to evaluate becomes skewed. And so Paul says to them, to the writers, he's turning the page and he's turning the subject matter from them over there to you in here, from them over there to you right here. So I want you in this text, I want you in this church to do the same thing. I want you to not be thinking about them out there. A lot of times uh, I hear critiques about the church. I don't know the church. What I do know is many pastors in the community, and based upon the pastors that I know, there's good things going on in the church. Based upon what I hear, the lives, I've been encouraged just talking to some of you, the lives that are changing. You know, we might not be busting out the doors and saying, oh, let's put more chairs in here, but, but you know what we are busting out on? Lives changed. Lives changed. It, we, we, are, we, are, we are seeing significant lives converted and significant lives growing spiritually. And to that, you need to rejoice. There are people here, okay, and there are people here who, whose lives are greatly impacted by the ministry of this small church. And, and you're not impacted by the ministry of the large church. Your lives, I'm looking back there, praise God for the years of faithfulness he's had, and right next to his, is his beautiful bride that I've known for years. You know, and, and just the life that this church has had an impact on them forever. Well, they're not that old. Okay. <laughs> 
right? Just the impact that we have had. That's the impact that you have had on their lives. So church, I want us to not think about them out there today. I want you to think about you right here, right now. Paul says, you, therefore. And if I can get this to work right, it's going to be this. You, therefore. The you there. Oh, man. Um, for you, for look how many times he says you. You, therefore. You pass judgment. You judge me. You pass judgment. You see how Paul's taking it from them out there to them in here? And Paul is saying, those things that you judge, when you pass judgment, you do the same thing. Same thing in that list of things that he condemned them. Here's the list. They, you do the same things. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. You have become filled with every kind of wickedness. They have become filled with evil, greed, and depravity. You have become filled with evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, and strife, deceit, and malice. You do the strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful, you do the same thing, are gossips. You are slanderers. You take somebody's character and you malign somebody's character so that you can look good. You take somebody's story and you retell the story and you package the story. And sometimes you add some deceit. Sometimes you add some malice. Sometimes you add some jealousy to that. They are arrogant. They are boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding. There is no faith, no mercy. So on a scale of 1 to 10, where do you fit? And the story of envy. Envy those rotten people who have something that you want. Envy those people who have more than you have. Where do you fit on the scale? Are you perfect? Do you, have you never envied? Or are you slightly less perfect than in that? How about this? Greed. How are you on greed? I've met some very poor people are probably some of the most greedy people that I've met. People that have nothing want more and more. How about greed? Deceit. How are you doing with deceit? Do you ever share your heart with somebody? Do you always pretend that you've got it under control? Do you always pretend like, like life is, is filled with, with great things? How are you doing at telling and being honest with people? How are you doing at sharing your heart with people? How are you doing it? Not sharing stories that people trust you with. Not sharing gossip and not talking to people, not talking bad or poor or deceptive about other people. How are you doing in your pride? Your pride is your pride off the charts, and so, so you help somebody who needs some help, but then you tell everybody that you helped the person needing help so that you look good helping the person who needed help. Because you wanted to look good, you needed your pride elevated just enough so that they say, well, that I, I was really helpful to that person. Jealousy. Jealousy is when you worry that somebody will take something that you have. Most of the time, jealousy is tied into a relationship, and so, and so you start to keep your relationship. It might not even be a good relationship, but you don't want that relationship to be in trouble because it might threaten that relationship, whatever it is. Jealousy and envy, kind of two sides of a different coin. We judge others by our truth. And so as long as, we aren't, as long as we don't gossip that much, and that person gossips a lot, they're, they're okay. Number two, God says this, God's judgment is according to his truth. God is not going to be on that sliding scale and going, well, I can be manipulated, I can be bribed, I can be, I, I, I can be swayed. Okay, that was good, it worked well. God's judgment is according to his truth. 
Verse 2, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things, do such things, God's judgment is truth. His delay, though, his delay of, of the day of wrath, his delay on that is so that people can come to know him. I want you to raise your hands if you've come to Christ in the last 20 years. In the last 20 years, you, yeah, you've known Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't come back in 1989? Some of you are alive, and some of you would have been guilty. Last 10 years. How many of you have experienced a new life in the last 10 years? Aren't you glad, how about your friends and your family, that Jesus didn't come back in 2008? God's patience is waiting for some of you. Some of you have come. There are 7.5 billion people in the world more opportunity of the gospel than ever before. More great ways. Just talking to a guest this morning in the church through social media, through the internet, through, through all kinds of means and all kinds of ways we can share the gospel with people that we've never met personally for the first time. And, and, and you know what? God's waiting. His patience is not, is not to hold back his judgment. His patience is so that people can come to know him. Watch this. It says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness. I am so glad that God waited until I came to faith. So glad that God has waited until you came to faith. Heaven would be, I don't know if you could say, a more disappointing place if you weren't there with me. Think of your family member that's lost. And going, well, God, can you wait a couple of days until that person comes in? But his kindness and forbearance and patience not realizing that his kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, Peter writes this, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think slowness, but is patient with you. He's not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will become like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare on the day of God's wrath. And Paul says this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets, Christ. People's secrets. Not just the good works of their hands, but the manipulative part of their heart. When God judges your secret. God's judgment, number two, is according to the truth. To the Jew who had believed in him, Jesus said this, If you hold to my teachings you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. And he said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So look at this. Jesus said that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And his word is the truth. Church, God is going to judge according to Jesus and the word of God. You will not stand in judgment on the sliding scale of whether Pastor Paul thinks you're a good person or not. Praise the Lord for that, right? You'll stand in front of Jesus on the perfect scale of God's word and upon he who lived perfectly in the world. Number three, God's judgment will be according to our works. God's judgment will be according to works. This is a little tricky part because later on he's going to make the argument that we are saved by faith and not by our works. And so, so watch this. Paul quotes this passage from Psalm 62. 62, he says at the end, it's verse 12. It's only 12 verses long. He says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. 
That's David. David is writing this, and he's writing the psalm. And the psalm has about it the idea of two people. Two people, those who, who disobey the king and, and want to see the king fall, and those who support the king and actually trust God. Those who plot against the chosen king and those who rest upon the Lord. Those are the two people. So the work that David is talking about is not work as in, as in serving, work as in, as in digging a ditch, work as in feeding the poor. The work he is talking about is the work in trusting in God. And if you've ever walked with God, know that that is work. Amen? It is lots of work. That you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you walk with God? It takes work every single day to trust God and, and to do right and, and to follow his leading. See, they proclaim, they proclaim, my salvation and my honor depends on God, the person who is working. He is my might. He is my rock. He is my refuge. Their salvation is found in God. Trust him at all times. The work is the work of salvation, the work staying in, in good relationship with God, staying clear with God. That's the work that Paul is associating with in his chapter 2 when it says, for the work that they have done. Number four, God judges without partiality. God judges without partiality. Judgment will be for everyone. There's a story about a police officer a couple of, many years ago. A police officer pulled this guy over, and this guy was going faster than the speed limit, and, and he pulls him over and gets out and says license and registration. The guy pulls out his license and registration, and um, so the officer looks at the license, and the license says that the guy needs to wear glasses. And so the police officer looks at him, and he doesn't see any glasses. He goes, he goes sir, do you realize you have to wear glasses? And the guy in the car says, sir, I have contacts. And so the police officer says, I don't care who you know. Glasses. <laughs> see, see it, it, he wasn't looking at, okay, okay, well, you, who do you know? Okay, well, I know this person, I know this person, therefore I'm going to get off. That, that's the idea of those contacts is the police officer thought one thing, but it was another. God is going to judge us without partiality. And so he makes this comparison between the Jew and the Greek. Look at this. Therefore... Right, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who brings evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. See, the Jews were under the assumption that, that because they were Jewish, they wouldn't be judged like the Gentiles would be judged. The Jews were saying, well, you know, we're protected. We've got this covering. We've got this contract. We've got this covenant. We're good. And the, we're not going to go there because we're not under that contract. We're, 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 we're good because, because, well, they've got that obligation. They've got to meet that obligation. We don't have that obligation. We don't have that covenant. Therefore, we're good. And so both sides were saying, we're good. We can do what we want because, one, because we've got this contract, and it doesn't matter what we do. In fact, there was, there was a saying around the time that Jesus walked that Abraham himself, himself was guarding the gates of hell, and anybody who was one of his descendants, Abraham was pushing out and sending up to heaven. That is what they believed at that time, that, that is, they were a descendant of Abraham. They would not face eternal punishment. And the Gentiles were going, well, we don't have to worry about their contract with their God. For the Jew and then the Gentile, everyone, everyone will be under the judgment. See, God judges us by what we know. God judges us by what we know. All who sin, all who sin. That points to me. It points to you. All who sin apart from the law, the Gentile, those who are not under the contract, all who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law. 
and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law, wait, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous. In other words, it is not those who, who yeah, they hear the law, they just, they just go to church regularly, they go to the synagogue, they practice, they do the religious rituals, and they think that they're saved because they're a regular attender. They go to the feast, they celebrate, and that's how they get saved. No, it's an, it's an obedience issue, it's a heart issue. But it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Everyone knows their heart. Everyone in this room knows your heart, knows where it's at. If I would ask for a raise of hands of how many people have, have gone against their heart at one time or another, all of us would raise our hands. All of us have said, I wish I, wish I didn't say that, and it went out there. All of us have done, oh man, I, I, I didn't. Why did I? When our heart condemned us, and we did it anyway. And we engaged in it, we participated in it, and we ignored it. We disdained it. We just, God bless you. We just, we just pushed it aside. All of us, every single one of us in our heart knows that we have blown it. And so the Apostle Paul is making this argument that all of us are guilty. All of us are guilty of sin. So he adds number six. God judges according to the secrets of a person's heart. This is where it gets hard. This is where it gets convicting. And this will take place on the day when God judges the people's secrets through Christ Jesus as my gospel. You could be holding on to some secret sins right now. You could be holding on to some secret thoughts, some secret envy, some secret jealousies, some secret curses that you've made, secret harms that you have harmed, fantasies that you fantasize about. The, the elimination of people that are a pain in your life, that are a challenge in your life, and yet you pretend everything's good, and God has this digital recorder that goes everywhere you go, everything that you do. It's like you have Siri on 24-7 in your pocket. It's like your home and Alexa is there. And she is, by the way, because all you have to do is call her name and she's there, right? All you have to do is say, Hey, Siri! I don't know if any of your phones went off. <laughs> and, and because she's listening all the time, what's the Google person's name? I don't know, who's the Google? Google, the Google Pixel person. Anyway, she has a name. No one knows Android people do not have a, okay. It's, hey, Google. Anybody's phone's going off, okay. You know, it, it's like you're being followed all the time, except for this is, hey, God but you don't have to invite him to be there. All you know is he's listening, he's watching, and, and he's just not watching your external. He's just not listening for the in- external. He can hear your thoughts. He knows every word you speak, James says, before you even say it. So when you say, you say that thing you shouldn't have said, God knew you shouldn't have said it seconds before you said it. Don't, ah! According, he judges according to your secret thoughts. You know, you might, not deal, you might not deal with public sin, but your private sins are huge and plentiful. You might not be a murderer, but I am sure many of us have slaughtered a person's character more than once. You might, not, you might be financially poor, but I'm sure that you have struggled with greed. You might give a good impression to us, but behind the closed doors, you dishonor your parents. 
you might look like an honest person. But truth is, you're a liar and you're a cheat. You might be mean. You might give money to the homeless person. But in your hearts, instead of having compassion, you're saying, go get a job. Uh, why would you take my money from, so that you can neutralize your pain with another drink of alcohol? You might be an exceeding merciful person, but it only looks, you only do it to look good to others. You might pride yourself in having it all together, but you only do that so that you look good to others. You might say, I'm a good church-going person, and yet your attendance doesn't reflect it, your giving doesn't reflect it, and your service doesn't reflect it. Because you've got all these other priorities that say, let's say church is fourth or fifth on my list. Jesus is only important every now and then, once a month, once a quarter. And, and even if I do come to church on Sundays regularly, my heart is... See, God knows the secrets in your heart. The disappointments and the discouragements. The times you've been let down. And that's where Paul leaves the message, but that's not where I'm going to leave the message because we would walk out of here very sad, wouldn't we? We would walk out of here very put down. See, there's hope. Paul, in the rest of the letter, and and in a couple of weeks, when we start getting into 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, we start getting into the Holy Spirit working in us, driving us. Oh, man, those are going to be great times. We need to know that there is hope. The Spirit of God who, who lives in us gives us life. But what do we deal with? We need to fall at the feet of Jesus. We must fall at the feet of Jesus. And you need to confess your secret sins. So I'm going to give you a time this morning, I'm just going to be quiet, and give you a time to pray quietly and ask God to forgive you for those secret sins. Those sins that he brought to your attention. Those sins that the Holy Spirit moved and said, you know, you shouldn't be doing that anymore. Or you should have done this and you didn't do it, and I told you to do it, and you didn't do it. And I'm going to give you a time to confess them, but not just confess, but repent. If you talk bad about people, we need to stop. If you have faith, you need to start. If you have not grabbed on to the hope of Jesus Christ yet, and you are an outsider, and you're staying outside, you need to come in and say, there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is joy, there is hope in the, the work of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel truly says it, it is only good news if we understand the bad news. And the bad news is that there is judgment coming. The good news is that we, when we stand in front of the throne of God, we stand there and, and God's going to say, why should I come in here? What good have you done? And I'm going to fall on my knees and go, I have done no good. It is only through Jesus Christ, only through the blood and the perfect word that I am even here Will you accept Jesus for me instead? And, and God will, Jesus will pick me up off my face. And he'll say, enter into my presence. You trusted me with a little. You trusted me with your life. You invested in me. Now I'm going to spend eternity investing in you. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
Don't leave here this morning. Don't, don't leave here thinking, well, I just heard that, but, but invite Jesus into your life. You cannot stand in front of the judgment of God without him. And if you do have Jesus in your life and you're holding on to sin, you're holding on to secret sin, public sin, it's hindering your walk with him. It's, it's retarding your growth. It's diminishing your glow and your effectiveness as a minister of the gospel. So I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and I'm going to be quiet for, ah, not that long, but I'm going to be quiet. And then I want you just to renew your commitment to him. And I'll close us with a renewal. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. We pray now, Lord, and we confess. We confess the secret sins in our heart. Lord, creation prays and they confess those things in their life that fall short of your perfection. Would you hear their prayer? Don't turn your face, Lord. No, 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 don't turn your face on them. Face them, Lord. Fill them. Renew them, Lord. Accept their prayer. Accept their heart. Lord, as you speak to them and they speak to you, Lord, may they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love them, you care for them, you live in them, you dwell in them. So Lord, thank you for this opportunity to renew our commitment to you. So Lord, I'm going to pray a prayer where I will just commit myself to you once again. And I pray that the church follows it. So Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I renew my commitment to you this morning. I confess that I have failed miserably at times. And I am sorry. So Lord, this morning in front of these people, I say, I'm back in. I'm ready to be used by you to do what you want me to do. Whether it's communicate or to celebrate graduation. Lord, today, use me for your good and your glory. And Lord, I just republicly renew myself with you. And I pray that the church does that as well. That they renew themselves to you. They speak words of faith, words of hope, words of forgiveness knowing that you turn your face towards them again and they're back in right relationship with you. So Lord, we just give you this morning and we give you our hearts and our lives today, tomorrow, and always. In your precious name I pray. Jesus, my Lord and Savior, amen. All right, Ron warned you. So if I could have the ushers come...